Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Hey, 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 what do you know? It's another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, and with me all the way from the Trumplin is the ghost standing in ghost hunting and the star of the West Files, Steve Parson. Hey, 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 (laughs) boo-boo. So, you got Mr. Trump over there today, huh? Uh, Well, he's not coming here till Friday. Um, but he so, overflew. He overflew um, the UK about an hour, hour and a half, two hours ago. Like what? Just no particular reason, or no? He's on his way to Russia, I think. Ah, uh, Russia. Meeting uh, Mr. Putin. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Anyway, we've got a show, I think, <laughs> and it's going to discuss something, I think, and. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> that is the idea. But, uh, you know, it's the hot time of the year. You know, people yeah. are... It's a heat wave here in the UK. It's incredibly rare. The last time we had heat like this was in 83. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, nobody cares. Mm. We're yeah, all just we get... watching Wimbledon and waiting for England to win the World Cup. There you go. So we just uh, we just finished the last edits on our book. You know, the, so it's only like six or seven that they had a question about where to straighten out. So I, ha- I absolutely hate that. Don't you find that's really frustrating? No. <clears throat> really? Why, why do you find it frustrating? <clears throat> well, I always find that um, when a book goes to proofreaders and they each proofreader does it differently. So, like, you get four or five different versions back. Um, plus, then you're, you're going through, and it's like, you have your own writing style that's unique to you and the way you put words together and construct sentences and phrases. And then some proofreader comes along and goes, oh, I don't like the way, I think I could write it better. Well, if you could write it better, be a bloody author and stop messing about with No, 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 we don't get that. They just ask, I like them because basically it's a fresh set of eyes looking at it from the non-paranormal. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, proofreading So they ask a question about, uh, you know, a particular thing, like they said, Who's saying this? Which you know, it's it's a, a good question. If they're a little confused, we'd like to straighten it out. So uh, we I have no problem. We have no problem whatsoever with it. I know it doesn't work like that here. We have just proofreaders who check the grammar, spelling. Oh, that's all. That's all done, and it's not a big deal because we don't make any errors. So there you go. Well, uh, there's errors even in the Bible, um, and in fact, a lot creep in at the print proofing stage as well. Where um, you know, the typesetting is uh, int- can introduce or omit yeah, I, things. I know. I'm just. I was just teasing. So, so when's it out? It comes out the uh, first of October. So excited! Oh, I'm going to beat you. We should have it uh, available for uh, what's Spirit that quest. thing we're doing together? Maybe Spirit Quest. Spirit Quest. Yeah. Yeah, I should be lugging a Kate. Well, some over of because mine comes out in. Ooh, Approximately, I say approximately, two to three weeks. This is the ghost hunting manual? 
This is the guide to for spontaneous case investigators, uh, ghost hunters, and this is actually a commissioned work by the Society for Psychical Research, updating a book that was last written in 1968. Okay, uh, so then I can go ahead and plan the special ghost hunt that we're doing. I now? think you can. I think okay. that's. I think I didn't do anything until I heard because you were. Leaving. I only found out myself on Friday that the. Uh, print go-ahead was given and uh, i've done some final tweaking and proofing and again and again one of the proofs came back from the printers and was missing an entire paragraph but we found that another one was misnumbered um so it does happen but yeah yeah you can go ahead it should be fine excellent i mean you so, can hang on for another couple of weeks just to be sure it, it all happens, <laughs> but. So anyways, uh, I, I noticed on this news, uh, and I mentioned it on the Monday show, uh, about we found our oldest uh, commissioned warship, which was uh, Benedict Arnold's uh, warship from uh, Lake Champlain. But, uh, you know, I thought that was breaking news, but that's, God, that was old. I, I realized <laughs> I was so irritated because I was like, oh, what's the oldest one? Our oldest commissioned one, of course, is, is the USS Ironsides right here in Boston. And, is it Ironsides or USS Constitution? Same thing. It's called the Ironsides. Is it? Sorry, my mistake. Yeah, cause, yeah well, there's a story behind that. And, and since you're British, maybe you didn't know about it. Um, but the uh, the British uh, fleet was uh, going after the, the uh, Constitution in uh, Boston Harbor, and she sailed past Blockhouse island and the british fired at her and the cannonballs bounced off her so that's how she got the the term uh ironsides and she looked mm. british and that was it so yeah you see that's good old british oak yeah no it was american oak you dickhead <laughs> my uh, i mean there's been a, a strong tradition of links between the uk and the u.s that i uh, Continued way after the Revolutionary War and the 1815 oh, yeah. minor, minor uh, skirmish, skirmish. Because because the UK was very supportive of the Confederacy during the wars or uh, during the US Civil War. Yes. In fact, my, my ancestors actually worked on CSS, the Confederate uh, Alabama. Warship, Alabama. Yeah. And when I went down to, uh, I was in Mobile um, at the USS Alabama. Oh, Mobile, as we say here. Uh, well, they say Mobile in the South. So anyway, I was there. I was visiting USS yeah, Alabama. Just the seat of grandma. Yeah, okay, grandma. I was visiting USS Alabama, and they had a, dis- a huge display case and a big model of CSS Alabama, the Confederate ship. Mm-hmm. And they said it was built in Birkenhead, Liverpool, England. And um, I remonstrated with them. And they corrected it. Um, about a month later, they sent me a photograph of the new plaque. Oh, that's cool. That said that it was created in Birkenhead, Cheshire, England. Any any historian worth their salt would certainly but, yeah, well, strive I mean, this, for accuracy. My, my uncle has um, some memento of that's come down through the family of the Alabama. Oh, um, cool. The CSS Alabama. Right. So, but because I mean, the reason for the support, of course, was because uh, over here in Britain, um, during that period, we had... Uh, a huge number of cotton mills, and we, mm-hmm. we relied on U.S. made co- uh, U.S. grown cotton, right? Uh, which of course is grown in the, in yeah, the South, the Confederacy, the and co- runners, and- yeah, and, uh, and of course it 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 behold it us to support the Confederates 
because we needed to uh, you know support the trade uh, the, mm-hmm. cotton, the cotton trade there were several ships built in the UK uh, yes, but they were. were they were armed at sea because that was part of the, the they couldn't arm them yeah. in, in UK that would have been against the the there, was a, there was an act of neutrality with the USA, right. and um, what happened was, with, in the case of Alabama, she sailed to France and holed up in the French port where she was armed, um, and the guns were put aboard by the, the shipyard workers from Camelard um, on Merseyside, uh, Cheshire, mm-hmm. who, who built her. Interesting but stuff. They couldn't know. do it until they got to France. It, it's fasc- absolutely fascinating. The... Uh, it, this little-known link between the UK and the US, and the fact that the UK so strongly supported the Confederacy, because obviously well, I don't think it's little known. It's 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 mentioned in in, in history in schools. So. Well, well, we also we also supported the um, the North. Yeah, <laughs> because we like to you you, you, you make your buy. money. Yeah, that's it. Um, and of course, there was a lot of links between Springfield Armories. Mm-hmm. And the manufactories in the north, the because the north was the the industrial side of the USA, right. um, and our uh, heavy industries and gun manufacturers that were located in the Midlands in the UK. So we had the northwest of the UK supporting the Confederacy, mm-hmm. uh, and and building, helping to build warships for the Confederacy and, and blockade runners, and we right. had the other parts of the UK supporting um, the north. Mm-hmm. So getting back to Benedict Arnold's flagship being the yeah. commission one, you have one that's you still have one that's that's uh, we have the oldest commissioned flagship. warship in the world, which is HMS Victory. Victory, right? Which is the flagship of uh, what's the flagship of Admiral Lord Nelson? It's still the flagship of the Royal is, Navy. Is that the one he died on? It is the one he, he died on. Um, there's, they've replaced all, every wooden panel and rivet and co- copper bottom on it about 20 times down the years. Um, but HMS Victory was fought the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805. And she she also, I mean, by then she was an old lady. Uh, Victory was built 40 years prior to that. And has, uh, but was chosen by Nelson to be the flagship, and she still is the flagship of the Royal Navy. And interestingly, whenever a, and I'm probably guessing it's much the same with Constitution. Whenever a U.S. or a U.K. warship passes HMS Victory because she's moored up in Portsmouth Harbour, they lower their flags and salute the flagship. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, we uh, we just uh, every year they. Uh take the constitution they sail her out and turn her around and bring her back in so that's that it it weathers evenly at the dock uh-huh well i mean so, victory hasn't moved in 20 years yeah um, constitution I, does it does go I, back. i'm not sure it can um, <laughs> anymore i think it's just too precious although having said that i i know it was built in the 1760s mm-hmm. um but it's been replaced so many times. In fact, um, I have somewhere a, a copper coin, a copper medallion that was minted because when they last removed the copper bottom, because the great innovation that the Royal Navy came up with in the 18th century was that they clad the ships in uh, copper, which uh, re- meant that they didn't pick up marine life and barnacles and, al- and, and all the other sort of stuff that grows on ships mm. and bores into them. And, Therefore, they were faster and more maneuverable because they didn't have this marine. They didn't have much drag. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, and hence the, the idea of... Well, it slips into our language, the copper bottom guarantee. 
It's it's funny you mention that because uh, we have the uh, Statue of Liberty, which was given to us from France, uh-huh. and uh, back in years ago they they recoppered, yeah, reclad it, I guess is the word, and they took the copper and they made uh, medallions out of it. I have a medallion from the U from the. Uh, we- Weirdly, so do I. <laughs> really? I found it on eBay about three, four years ago, and it was a, it was a medallion that was made from the, the recycled copper of the Statue of Liberty. I've got one made from HMS Victory. I've got numerous others. I've got a statue of St. David's made from the, the lead, uh, lead flashing on the roof of St. David's. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, a sort of really cool way of being in touch with the past, but they are ridiculously expensive. I mean... When last I saw a, a victory medallion cast from the copper of the, the ship, and it could have come from anywhere. I mean, right. there's there's forty tons of copper on the bloody thing, um, and you can also buy all manner of uh, furniture made from the oak um, that they had to, because obviously the oak deteriorates over years and has to be replaced. Right, um, and they charge stupid, stupid money for some of these trinkets and baubles that they make out of these things. But it's yeah. good because all, all, every penny goes to the restoration. Yeah, that's great. So let me ask you this. Uh, you know, Nelson did die on, on, on the ship. He did. And is there any reports of uh, hauntings on it? Uh, do you know there are? Um, or at least there are coming from paranormal. There's been a handful of paranormal groups who have got access to it. Really? Well, I, when I was with Most Haunted, we went to Portsmouth and we did a, a live over three nights. And one of the planned or hoped for locations was HMS Victory. But uh, ways back then in 2006, that wasn't deemed to be, uh, because she is a serving um, ship of the line. Right. And, but there have been more surreptitious investigations and claims of paranormality from the ship, none of which have ever been verified by an investigation, a formal investigation. But various mediums, various investigators have snuck on with ghost boxes and yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, down the years. But uh, as far as I'm aware, the Royal Navy do not permit any form of investigation, uh, have not yet, at least, permitted any form of uh, formalized investigation to take place on victory. But there are reports. There are reports, have, none of which a, relate to Nelson. We have a group that uh, investigated the uh, old Ironsides and, and uh, came up with their thing. So. Mm. I think uh, you pointed it out to me last time we were going over that bridge um, towards Bunker Hill. So here's an interesting thing. We talk about ghosts and we talk about, you know, being associated with a particular, uh, you know, location and everything. So in my book, Ghost Today, um, uh, on October 21st, 1805, in Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, Pleasant Point Lighthouse or French Point Lighthouse, as it's sometimes called, was built in 1904 on a gross, gross, yeah, grassy knoll. The uh, wooden... 11-meter uh, tall structure was built in the classic shaker, uh, pep- sh- wow, I can't even read today, pepper shaker designs. Uh, the first uh, keeper was a seafaring by- nam- man by the name of John Kent. For almost 100 years, the Kent family had tended to this lighthouse. Like many other lighthouses, there is a ghost attached to it, but 
unlike so many others, this ghost is rather famous. According to the story told by Ivan Kent, the great-great-grandfather of the navigator of none other than Horatio Nelson. He was the navigator on that ship. Not only that, but uh, Lord Nelson, when he died at Trafalgar, uh, he was with him. The Admiral's body was laid to rest in England, but it seems the Admiral's spirit has other plans. The ghost of Nelson remains with Kent, and even following him to North America when he settled in Nova Scotia. The Admiral haunted Kent's home in Canada. Uh, when it was destroyed, he immigrated to the lighthouse. The ghost had been uh, pretty benign, except for a couple incidents with the family pet. Uh, on two separate occasions, two different cats in the presence of uh, Nelson's have, uh, have felt, the pre- felt the presence of Nelson. Each cat disappeared, later to be found beneath the trap door in the lighthouse. They uh, acted frantic as if they were possessed and, uh, away from the, and ran away from the tower as soon as they were recovered. After their encounter, the ghost of Nelson, uh, they wanted no part of the lighthouse. Visitors have also felt the presence. Ivan doesn't mind Nelson hanging around, but he wishes he would leave the cats alone. <laughs> so, what do you think? Could, uh, could um, Nelson well, come? Well, I mean, could. Uh, could I, I don't know. I I really don't know. I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, we've got Anne Boleyn haunting about 15 to 20 places. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, so there's no reason why he, he couldn't. Um, I can't see why he might want to. Yeah. Well, uh, he was his friend, I guess. Uh, you know, he was well, I mean, my friend. He, he, he served actually, him. Nelson was a bit of a character because he was a terrible womanizer. Really? And, and lived in a weird menage a trois uh, for most of his sort of later years. With, really? With uh, Emma Hamilton, who, of course, was already married. Uh, and the three of them sort of lived together in this weird menage a trois relationship. Mm-hmm. Ha- Emma Hamilton actually comes from my part of the world up up in the uh, on the northwest, and in the town, and she was born in a very small fishing uh, coastal village uh, about five miles from where I was born. But Nelson, he was a terrible, terrible womanizer, and you know he he, he had this weird menage a trois with Emma Hamilton. Um, he ended up he actually ended his days pickled in a barrel uh, barrel of brandy. I remember my days going to Gibraltar. And um, what happened was after Trafalgar, which is on the south southern sort of tip of Spain, uh, after they defeated the combined French and Spanish fleets, yeah. Nelson, of course, his body, in order to because it's it's quite a, a hot part of the world. Yeah, I would um, say. So, in order to preserve the admiral's body, they they basically stuck him in a, bar- a barrel of brandy until they got him back to the UK, and he resided in Gibraltar for several weeks. No, oh, wow. under under the scorching sun, and by the time he was buried, he was he was completely pickled. Huh. He'd been completely pickled in brandy, um, and his body probably you know to this day has never decomposed because. Wait, where's his uh, where's his tomb? He's, uh, he's buried in St Paul's Cathedral, or he's, he has a very large tomb in St Paul's Cathedral, mm-hmm. um, which is the big dome one right in London, the one that you see in all of the famous photographs of London. The right. The one that always gets blown up when it gets attacked by aliens or terrorists yeah. or something. Yeah. The yeah. one that, I mean, there's a very famous photograph that was taken by a prominent American photographer from Time magazine 
during 1940, during the Blitz on London, um, which shows the whole of London ablaze as the Germans were attacking London, except, and the fires surrounding um, St. Paul's, and a picture of the Dome of St. Paul's standing out against these fires. Wow. So it's a very, very famous photograph of uh, St. Paul's. But yeah, he's underneath. Um, he, he, he's down there, uh, pickled. That's pretty good. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about ships, but uh, the Coast Guard training ship, the Eagle, was actually a, a captured Nazi ship. Well, I, do you know, I get a bit cross about that, uh, this idea of the Nazis, because the Nazis were a political party. Right. All right, German. All right. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because have you not noticed down the years we've 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 sort of changed who we fought in World War yeah, II? Right. I know tens of thousands of very brave American GIs and airmen and uh, sailors died fighting the Germans. Mm-hmm. But in in the last. 20 years, we don't refer to them World War II as fighting the Germans or the Japanese. We, no. we thought they, they, they refer to it as the Nazis and the Japanese because that kind of differentiates the fact that now we're friends with Germany and have been since. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, but the other thing, too, is the Nazis did have their own troops as well. They had. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they did have. I mean, Heydrich Himmler, um, sorry, um, Himmler had his own um, uh, sort of. Mini, miniature army, as, as indeed did Hitler. But yeah, did. I mean, we fought the German nation. It was, it was, you know, the Allies and the Axis. It was Germany and Japan. We don't make any differentiation with Japan, but we do with Germany, and I find that's really weird. We refer to Germany as the Nazis, but we refer to Japan as Japan. Right. And I think that's slightly disingenuous to, to you know, the countless pe- uh, men from men, women uh, from both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah I get. The the interesting thing about it is that um, the uh, World War Two is so associated with the um, the camps. I, mm. I know that the I know that the Japanese did it as atrocities, but they were not as advertised as well as they they did against the Jews, and uh, so that the so, Germans did turn that into. Um, uh, they were they were with their ruthless efficiency, as in, right. you know, as as we expect from the Germans. Exactly. So that's why we use that. We we use the word Nazis, so we don't really you know uh, associate the Germans with that particular phase of history. So in other words, well, you know. Do you know what? When I when I, I visited Auschwitz a, a yes. long time ago, and over twenty years ago. And one of the interesting things I discovered whilst there is that the vast majority of the guards in all of the concentration camps were either Polish or Ukrainian. Right. Uh, very, very few. I mean, only the senior ranking officers were German and were members of the Nazi Party. Right, because they the, couldn't waste good and, troops and God doing that. But the Poles had actually re- managed to rewrite history as well, because when, when you go visiting Auschwitz, they don't mention how anti-Semitic the Poles were. And how complicit them and the Ukrainians... Actually, most of the world was anti-Semitic. And well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sort of putting Britain on a pedestal. We had a, you know, we had a pogrom back in the Middle Ages under Edward I. Um, 
But it, it's quite interesting how, and we've talked about this before on the show, how, how history is so important when we relate it to the paranormal. It's one of the first things that investigators look at is the history of a location and the history of the people mm-hmm. and the history of, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's been happening there. But history is very, very subjective. I know the old saying that history is always written by the victor, mm-hmm. but it's being constantly rewritten. Oh, Absolutely. That's why, you know, it's things you know, like the show and, and you and I, Steve, that love history and, and, and follow it. We, you know, we bring up these facts and people think we're crazy. But no, mm-hmm. these are true things. I mean, your royal family, I mean, they were married to Nazis and we're not saying Germans, Nazis here. Oh, absolutely. And, and Edward VIII, who, well, who, who um, abdicated him because he wanted to stay with the love of his life, was a strong... Uh, you have Americans, well, huh? No. Um, I mean, prior she to World War II... <laughs> she, well, there's nothing wrong with love. Yeah. Prior, to, prior to World War II, he was um, said to be an advocate of Hitler and the Nazi Party's uh, views. Although, at that point, it wasn't... Right, he, it pro- wasn't he just... was He was probably unaware. In fact... In the early days of Nazi Germany, from thirty-three onwards up until thirty-eight, it was it, there was there was you know America had a Nazi party, the UK had Nazi parties, and strong advocates of those very sort of uh, nationalistic policies, mm-hmm. which we which we see today, you know, um, in, in some aspects of modern politics, this idea of put your own country first. You know, the, the the interesting thing about uh, World War II is that we learned from World War One, And because World War II basically came about because of what we did to the, the Germans and, and their allies during the yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's true. Uh, well, it's their partially true because were, were horrible, especially the French. They were they well, were, I was going to say, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Britain yes. and America can at least hold our heads up and say we we were strongly in favour of reducing the reparations because mm-hmm. Germany right. was had gone beyond the point of bankruptcy. Yeah, but absolutely. Fra- but it's France like kicking, kicking a dog when he's dead. You're right. Yeah, but France continued to kick the dead dog over and over and over and over. And you saw what happened in 1940. Um, when France was dragged to the railway carriage in the forest yep. um, and made to sign... Yeah, well the, deserved, no offence. Well, no, exactly, because World War Two could have been averted if Germany... And, in fact, it was a very powerful lesson that was learnt in World War Two After Japan surrendered, America and... Exactly. That's what I was saying about we learned from World War One. Yeah. And, and indeed, with, with Germany after World War Two, America and the UK both poured resources in to rebuild those nations. Yeah. And look how we were repaid. <laughs> They're allies now, really. Well, I mean, they hold all the Trump cards. You know, no. Germany is the most powerful nation in Europe now, and look what Japan did to the American economy. Yeah, but you know what? The the despite what happened, the U.S. economy still did well. Oh, it's yeah. now it's now the Chinese that are, that are doing it, and uh, we won't go into that because then we're getting into political stuff, and I really don't want to get into it right now. No, we don't want to do political stuff, but it it, it shows that um, right. history is dynamic; it's fluid; it changes, yeah. and our interpretation changes. And you learn from it. 
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. International. Your host, Ron Van Helsing Kolek, and Steve, the gold standard Parsons. Mm. So, <clears> uh, <throat> what's been happening to change the subject a little bit? What's been happening in the West Files? Uh, well, last night we had our season one finale uh, because I'm on holiday next week. Um, so, oh, we, really? so uh, yeah. What, I one can of fly our, over and take your place, you know. You could indeed. But we had our series one finale, and uh, we'll be back with series two in two weeks. But, um, we decided to end Series 1. One of our guests had... Um, it's been well known that the building that the studios are in is said to be haunted. And uh, so one of our guest investigators, who's psychic, decided that uh, they would offer their services. And so last night we did a live two-hour ghost hunt of the studios. Really? And we didn't just broadcast live on the West Files. We also broadcast live on, because this group has their own internet TV um, live show as well. I can't, I can't, I've forgotten how many live devices there were because there was the radio stations live. We were broadcasting, of course, on the West Files. And there was um, uh, Showboat TV, who were also broadcasting live. Uh, so it went on for two hours. It was a bit chaotic at times, but but a lot of fun and uh, a nice series one finale. But so, it, tell me what, what what happened. Well, do you know what the 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 group came in at the end, and uh, I mean we we uh, they they picked up on the fact that there was a government business there, you know, sort of local dignitaries involved yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and people hauled before the bench and remonstrated with. Um, 
notwithstanding the fact that there's actually a plaque outside of the building that records its own history and says it was a, lo- a government chambers and it's directly opposite the old town jail and all of this is very well known local history mm. and is in all of the guidebooks but the medium as they always do claimed um they didn't know it they didn't know it it yeah. was all yeah a complete mystery to them um, but it was interesting. Um, they they didn't they. I think they got one name out of the entire evening, and it's a fairly generic name that I I, I tried John. to check. I, well, Bi- Billy Williams. Now, if you know the Welsh, that's there's there's probably as many of them as there are Smiths. You know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I did some checking through the records today, and I found at least eighty possible candidates for the name um, so yeah it's fairly generic so nothing nothing und- what was interesting though when we were talking to the crew of um showboat television now this paranormal group has worked with showboat television and they've done what three- is showboat television stand well it's it's well showboat is a west wales based internet tv content provider uh-huh. and they do they do a weekly sort of live ghost hunt with uh, the group Mm. And um, we we were talking, we <clears throat> interviewing the guys from the TV sh- uh, station, um, as you know, to say, well, you know, you've been working with the paranormal investigators for a year. Have your views, opinions changed, or have you seen anything that has caused you to question? And universally, the three members of um, the TV crew said no. I was open-minded, slightly sceptical when I started, and I remain open-minded and slightly sceptical now. And I found that quite... There's no ghosts in Wales. Well, we're not short of ghost stories, um, but what I found interesting is, is clearly this group who are very dedicated to what they do. Now, this group is unique, almost unique, because they, whilst they have some equipment, they, they... barely pay any attention to it because they they are predominantly and almost exclusively psychically orientated and when i mean psychically orientated by that i mean that they rely upon their they're all made up they all comprise the members of a spiritual development circle run by the group leader Mm -hmm. Um, so they have one techie guy who had one uh, the only piece of technical equipment that they used all last night was Gate a thermometer. No, it was um, a Flare One attached to an iPhone. Wow! Um, but I found it interesting that, despite the very high levels of what I would have said that was suggestion and um, uh, you know, sort of front-loading, priming the pump, that these guys from the television crew. Um, hadn't changed their views at all. Now, our station manager did. He he was a bit leery because what he'd said was, um, until he discovered that there was, uh, the medium had said that there was a ghost in the building. Now, of course, he's been in the building for a year, helping get the station set up, staying late at night, sort of covering for other shows or pre-recording stuff. Or, and he never had a problem until the medium said, the building is haunted. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and now he gets all sort of, you know, hairs on the back of his neck whenever he's uh, on his own in the building. So he's, a, he's a little bit leery around the place. And, of course, at different points last night, he was 
making something of, not a big deal, but something of the fact that when he was trying to broadcast live uh, from his phone uh, onto Facebook Live, on the station's uh, Facebook page, yeah. he, co- he couldn't get a Wi-Fi signal. Um, oh, I, I, di- I did point out there were not at least six other devices also broadcasting at that time mm-hmm. uh, on various, you know, so the Wi-Fi was just probably swamped. Uh, right. uh, I remember when we did our first, uh, we did a Halloween special with uh, Haunted Devon from the UK and mm-hmm. uh, Haunted Australia from Australia and, and ourselves, and we we crashed the uh, Ghost Village, which was the largest paranormal site on the internet at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it happens when you put a lot of bandwidth on it. Yeah, it absolutely crashed. does. And of course, you know, listening to somebody going, um, "Well, I can't. It's never really. It's never happened before, and it's. Uh, yeah, I can't well, explain. Never it. had that much use before. It's it's very difficult because it's you don't want to spoil the listener's experience by mm. going. Uh, well, it's just down to the bandwidth. You know, if we paid a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't had the cheap internet package, <laughs> it might have it might have held together. But it was an interesting night, and we're back in two weeks with the season two premiere, which is because this group last night was so spiritually inclined. Um, I thought for balance, we should get a group who are more materialistic, in, uh, more materialistically, materialistically inclined. And I believe they got in touch with you. During the course of the week, or at least their group leader got in touch with you during the course of the week, because I said, "Oh, we should get you on Ghost Chronicles um, in the oh, next yeah. few weeks or months." To which he took that as, "Well, I'll just go direct to the boss." Yeah, I uh, I couldn't figure that one out, so I just let it roll, basically. Yeah, I, I didn't it know came, what, came as, what was came going on. Bit... I, I was kind of in the middle, so I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. Well, yeah, it came as a bit of a surprise to me, but it's all resolved now, and he will be joining us in September. So mm. um, you can maybe. ask him yourself. <laughs> I think you make an interesting guess. Anyway, so the uh, flare that it, was there anything that they were? Uh, no, no, they, no, it picked up. It picked up nothing. Be, they don't really pay it a great deal of attention. And in fact, um, why use it? Well, I, this is the question I asked them when they were guests on the show, and essentially it. The answer seemed to relate more to well, it's something to show the viewers, <laughs> and and I'll be brutally well, that's honest. That's not going to take your broadcast, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess it's it comes down to expectation because people do have a, a degree of expectation from investigators that they do have some equipment. I mean, the group don't just have an thermal, as they kept referring it to. Um, they do have. EMF and they do have EVP. Um, they have EVP. They have EVP and EMF. What and is ther- EVP? I'm, I'm quoting directly. They have EMF, EVP, and thermal. Oh, that's nice. Is there we are. So, but they left the EVP and the EMF at home last night and just brought the thermal. <laughs> I think you can guess what what my thoughts might have been. All right. <laughs> but it was an interesting night but you know, you know that's a good thing too it is it you know we we make light of some things sometimes but uh you know it is interesting that's the bottom key we like to see what people do and how they use Absolutely. stuff and 
and what yeah. their frames of mind are, and that's that's the intriguing part about it. I, I've never yet been on any investigation where I haven't learned something. Really? I, absolutely, hand on heart, I have always come away from every single investigation and I've learned something. It might be related to something about people, something about situations and circumstances. Sure. I get it. Um, but always, because very much uh, paranormal investigation isn't really, in many instances, studying the paranormal. It's more about studying people's experiences and how they respond to situations and scenarios as they play out Absolutely. and how, how they react to different stimuli. So it is very much people watching and in it i don't think there is any sub uh, a substitute for experience and for being there and and it's you know as i say hand on absolutely hand on heart um i have learned something on every single investigation i've ever been on mm-hmm. no that's intriguing even but, with you yeah in fact, I, in fact i've learned the most from you right all but not to do right well, I, I could have written. <laughs> Maybe I did. <laughs> I know. I certainly blame you for ghostology. Yes, thank you. I mean, you are you are the sole reason that ghostology exists. Really? Yeah, because you were. Pissing so I'm getting the blame for that, huh? No, because you were pissing and moaning so much about me using your printer to print out the course notes that that actually that's set the seed of an idea, the germ of an idea for well, maybe I should do it as a book. Then I don't have to keep reprinting it every. Mm. Every few few weeks, right? So, uh, because previous prior to that, when when with the ghostology courses, of course, it wasn't to save people writing. I gave them course notes, usually on CD, but occasionally printed as well for those that didn't have uh, CD mm-hmm. copies or didn't have access to deal with the CD. Right. And um, yeah, you pissing and moaning about the uh, and also the. The realization, whilst we were waiting for the thing to print, that it was over a hundred pages of course notes. Uh, right. Yeah, you kind of got me upset there, but that's besides the point. Ink's cheap. Yeah, not to me. <laughs> you don't pay for it. Yes. So, anyways, uh, yeah. So the what? Any other? So they didn't do any EVP or any no, type of no. We so we, strictly we psychic impressions. Is that absolutely right? strictly psychic? Which made it very very difficult when they came in to talk to us about um, what was happening and what had happened and what they'd picked up on to to make any sort of in-depth questioning because you you're in the territory then of dealing with somebody's belief mm-hmm. and uh, I. I you know, you you have to be careful because uh, to some belief equates to almost a quasi-religious belief type type of belief. Because oh, you know, you are you are dealing with somebody's fundamental core beliefs, and if you t- simply rubbish them, then that's objectionable. And that's and all fairness, you can't true. rubbish them because that's right. what they believe, and that's exactly. You know, Exactly, and you have to be respectful of people's beliefs, but it does it does make it difficult. Um, in in some situations to place an alternative viewpoint true so because then you end up you know usually ends up with you getting lectured by the by the other person about how you because you're a non-believer you're a heretic narrow-minded yeah you're a narrow-minded heretic and blasphemer Mm, pretty much you're you're the one that isn't that what i always tell you yeah yeah i mean you know it's often been said in fact it was said last night that 
I don't understand because I have never opened myself up to these experiences. Oh, you didn't open yourself up? No. Oh, I thought you were participating in this. No, you were just the observer? Uh, Absolutely just the observer because somebody had to run the bloody radio show. Uh, we, due to the layout of the building and due to the format of the show, we we weren't able to um, get out of the studio, so we had to drag the participants from the ghost investigation in. We didn't. Um, the station manager was supposed to bring us a very long microphone extension cable, but he forgot. Didn't happen. <laughs> so we no. So we were firmly sort of planted in the studio. Mm-hmm. I can understand that as well. So, the uh, the conclusions of the the studio. The manager now is afraid to work alone there, or well, no, no, he's still happy to work alone. He's a bit more um, nervous, I think, about working there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's sort of put him off working there. He's just a little more nervy and a bit more jumpy whilst he's there. But it shows you the strong because for the longest time, of course, for in excess of a year, he has been there day in, day out, and late at night, on his own, mm-hmm. in, this, in this sort of old, very old historic building, with no problems at all, until barely a few weeks ago, six weeks ago, when he was told by the medium that the building was haunted. Yeah, and since, that time, since that time, and only since that time, has he, uh, he's never, and he still hasn't experienced anything, but he's just a lot more Nervous. Larry is perhaps the word. Yeah, Larry is a good mm-hmm. word. Now that could that could indeed lead him, you know, in a somebody knocks on a door or an object, you know, drops off because somebody didn't place it on a shelf properly, or you know, the, there is an inclination then to ascribe so that. That's, that. that's an interesting thing. If if you're if you, so that that's that's intriguing in itself because. To me, if you buy a house, for instance, and then things start to happen and you come to the conclusion that something's going on, perhaps paranormal, it it brings more validity than if you bought a house, knew it was haunted and things going around. Then you say, oh, yeah, see, it's haunted. Well, providing that there's again, it comes down to the individual because that person might be um, someone who is a strong believer in ghosts and the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's right. There's a, a third part of it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, so you have, and, and of course the converse, they might live in, in a property that has uh, a, a um, reputation for being haunted, but they themselves are strongly skeptical and, will, right. and dismissive of things that take place. So it is this broad range of human personalities <laughs> and beliefs and the experience, and, which makes it also fascinating because you've got to try and tease all this apart to try and understand what actually happened to who and when. Right. And, and that, and the belief in the paranormal is almost, like you said, it's, it's almost a, uh, it goes back to beliefs more than anything else. It, it's more of a experience, a religious experience even, and that you know, they believe it, whether you believe what they're, uh, what you, I don't know, how am I saying this? But it, it goes back to what they believe more than what you believe. It, it, and it has to, because, uh, in fact, one of, the, one of the sections in the new guide for ghost hunters, investigators, mm-hmm. 
is actually a sign, a, a thing, that, a, a section that says or emphasizes the fact that the investigator should not initially doubt the witness, that you should believe what they're telling you and take it at face value until you can test it. But you yeah, have that's, to let, that's kind you of have what to, I do in my uh, yeah. paranormal CSI. That's this, I believe yeah. in the same thing. You collect the evidence and then you go through it. And, uh, that's sometimes, right. Yeah. But a lot of investigators bring their own beliefs to the table. And because something sounds extraordinary or ludicrous or... Uh, you know, crazy, bizarre. They go, well, I can't have. And they, they, they then impose their own beliefs onto uh, the the case that they're investigating. And you, you absolutely can't. You, you have to take what the wit- because the witness was there. It's their experience. They're telling it to you, mm-hmm. and you. That's really the only information that many investigators have to begin with. And if you if you start. Um, question: uh, If you start to um, deter- make determination without any form of investigation or understanding, then you're heading down the road of a very biased investigation. Right, and it's the same way that the investigators can influence the the client. Oh, in absolutely. That, in that, you know, for instance, uh, whether a place is haunted, if someone believes it's haunted, and they come back and say, "Okay, I was there for." Six hours, two hours, and uh, I found nothing. So your place isn't haunted. You really can't say that. Oh, Cal again. Yep. Never let lets us down, does he? Never, ever, ever. Ever let us down. We'll have to let him on one day. Yeah, we should. <laughs> We're gonna absolutely. But it goes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's it's even more insidious than the investigator making a judgment and telling the, 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 the homeowner or the person who called them in, it actually comes down to the body language and the, the words that the investigator might use when absolutely. framing a question or, fr- you know, it, it should be absolutely, you know, red line uh, for the investigator to express any form of opinion or tacit agreement. I remember watching Kieran on Most Haunted and saying to him afterwards, because he was listening to one of the witnesses, who was telling their account. And all the way through the interview, um, Kieran was, as, as his perfectly normal human response, he was nodding and saying, yes, yes, aha, uh-huh, yes. Yeah. Now, that's normal conversation. Like <laughs> well, that was, it was on Most Haunted. That's normal conversation etiquette. Mm-hmm. That Kieran was actually saying, yeah, I understand, I, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, paying attention what the, it was very evident that the witness was doing was taking that as a sign of uh, that kieran was agreeing agreeing and lending weight to their experience mm-hmm. because when i told kieran my experience he said yes yes um uh-huh uh-huh he was right. nodding along in agreement and so it does come down to your body you know even down to your body language and the way that you you know interact with with witnesses can affect the outcome of a case. Agreed. So it's a, it's a you know it's not as simple as is. No, it's a bloody minefield. And not, it's not going to do it properly, anyways. Well, you know, anybody and everybody is capable of doing doing a good quality investigation, and you know it doesn't have to be done to the rigors of James Randi or James uh, Joe Mickle. You yeah. can 
you can produce because I mean, good God Almighty, you will never satisfy Nickel because there, there is there are yeah there is two men there who are so set in their ways that you know you'd have to nail their tongues to a wooden door before they would admit but any of the possibility. You you look at the reason why is that that's how they make their living. Oh yeah, I mean they absolutely make their living from poo pooing anything and everything that that it purports to be paranormal. So, um, you know, they, they, they're not going to kill the goose that laid the golden egg, are they? Mm-hmm. And it's I'd interesting love, that there I'd are... I'd love to know, get them on the show. I really would, but I, I doubt if either one of them would come in. And if, uh, and I, I, don't I, I, I doubt that we would learn anything new, because nobody yet, in, in any form of public forum, I've never seen any of these uh, sceptical experts change tack. Now, what's interesting... What about Wiseman? Is, is he someone... Well, well, I was going to say, privately, mm-hmm. away from a camera, off the record, some of the notable UK sceptics mm-hmm. do seem to have a slightly different approach from their public approach or okay. from their public persona. Whether that's true of Nickel, whom I've never met or spoken to, and Randy, again, whom I've never met and spoken to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know... Publicly, if we brought them on the show, it would be very much the party line. Yeah, I would imagine it would be. I really would. You know, we're not going to get any sort of exclusives. Mm-hmm. Joe Nickel believes in ghosts. James Randy thinks, you know, he could have given the million dollars out three times over. Not going to happen. True. So true. In fact, interesting. Do you know what? He never had the million dollars. He never had the million? Nope. It was of course not. It never existed. Um, it, the maximum he ever actually risked was ten thousand dollars. Oh yes, yeah. it was again more of his flimflam magic. Because I mean, Randy is first and foremost, and always has been, an entertainer. True. You know, he's not a qualified investigator. He's not a qualified scientist. He's not a qualified. He's not qualified in anything. He's a, he's a bloody Did, good magician. Joe Nichols was an English professor. Uh, well. You know, they're in. I, I mean, I've got no no qualms against people. You know, from other fields. JB Ryan was a was a botanist. Right. You know, you can bring a great deal. Even of, uh, our friend Lloyd Auerbach was a uh, mentalist. Yeah, I mean, we've got lots of parapsychologists who have other strings to their bows. Is it uh, mm-hmm. James Haran? Uh, sorry, is it Lloyd? Lloyd is a chocolatier as well. He has a chocolatier. We can't forget James, that. James Haran, another famous American parapsychologist, uh, is a psychologist who runs a, a major U.S. dating uh, website. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, parapsychology doesn't pay the bills, but paras- being a psychologist is not um, doesn't give you an exclusive insight into the understanding of paranormal experiences. So, you know, Randy and Nickel and Wiseman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they, they do bring a great deal to the table. Mm-hmm. But they are as bad as the, you know, the, the worst of the believers. Yeah. So anyways, that was the bell, which means pizza from the dead is here, and we've got to move on. Uh, anything you want to add, Steve? You got anything coming up or? Uh, no, only that. Uh, next week we will be doing a live from some haunted location in on the Isle of Anglesey. Perhaps a burial chamber. Say. Perhaps a burial chamber next week. Three thousand BC burial chamber. Where is Anglesey? 
Northwest Wales. It's an island off the coast of Northwest Wales. So I'll get rid of the Scottish accent. Yeah, don't do that. Oh, Mr. S- Mr. Scott and his lovely wife Varia coming down to spend some time the week after next. Excellent. That's excellent. So, um, so, unfortunately, not in time to get them on the show. Ah, too bad. Hey, I tried. That's all right. So, anyways, uh, that that sounds really good. And, and don't forget, Steve will be coming over to the States here in uh, September, the end of September and, and for the first week of October. Uh, so go to anyghostproject.com and check out Spirit Quest. Uh, that's yeah. going to be a fun time. I, oh, speaking about Spirit Quest, I just uh, saw a documentary on Ogopogo, which is, I, I oh, understand, cool. you're doing uh, yes, Lockdown. Yeah, so. And in fact, yeah, because the Scottish government have a plan uh, about what to do should Nessie ever get captured. Really? There is, a, is... There is an official government plan. Well, we're going to have to hold that for Spirit Quest. And that will be it, Spirit Quest. Unveiled it, Spirit Quest. Excellent. And hopefully, uh, along with the results of some of the DNA tests. One of the interesting things on this show, too, was that the both the lake that Ogopogo is in, uh, Nessie lie at the same demarcation, the, the water do you, temperature. Do you know how same? many do you know how many lakes in the northern hemisphere with lake monsters are within two degrees of the same latitude? Don't know, but there's a tune, so a we gotta lot. go. Tune in next time and might tell you. <laughs> no, I'll tell you Spirit Quest. Alright, so thanks a lot, Steve. It was uh good talking with you again and uh you thank you for week. everyone for listening and next time, good night, God bless. Thank you, bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.